Hey, this is MG from the Reset Race Podcast, where we discuss race, politics, economics, and reparations. We wanted to let you know that we've started a Patreon. So to support us over there, please go to www.patreon.com slash Reset Race Network. Again, www.patreon.com slash Reset Race Network. Thanks. We'll see you over there. I deny everything but what I have all along admitted. The design on my part to free the slaves. AKA the Khaleesi. I'm here with all of our wonderful co-hosts and I'm just going to kind of bounce around from what I see on my screen. So I'm going to go to Gabriel because he's on my left. So go ahead and introduce yourself, Gabriel. Hello, everybody. I'm Gabriel Piamonti. I'm in from Chicago and um, reparationist. You can find me on Twitter at Gabriel Piamonti online at gabrielpiamonti.com. I'm just happy to be among such a group of uh, vagabond ne'er-do-wells. All righty, Patricia, you're next up. I can't hear you at all. I can't hear nothing. You got to come way closer. <laughs> we got to get you some headphones. <laughs> Have some <laughs> yeah, that'll probably work better because they will be oh, able to hear you better because I can barely hear you. Okay, perfect. All right, John D, you're up. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is John D. I'm on my cell phone today, so I might be in and out, but I love being here <laughs> on the, the show. John Brown Leftist, whatever you want to call it. I, I like the name, no matter what people say, but I really appreciate it. I'm a, a musician, a, a composer, so I like to talk about music and you know, the, the black culture of music has really changed my life. So I sometimes I trail off into that. And we talk about a lot of different topics on this show. I really like it, but I'm here for the reparations. I found this show just for um, all the great talk about reparations and kind of coming at it from the left. So I love um, what Sam's doing and mud and all these great chats and learning we have. And I just go off and I, I love the show. I appreciate it. I love doing 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 it every week. We're going to keep growing. And a fun fact about me is I was actually born in the same town as John Brown, believe it or not. So a strange thing up here um, in um, New England. He's just kind of grew up in the woods, but uh, he doesn't have much of a, a monument or anything like that. So you're right. It's kind of a, he's kind of just this uh, legacy of this kind of race trader. So it's a, it's an interesting legacy. I like the concept. Glad to be here. Sorry I was gone last week. I hope everyone's doing well. And yeah, that's my introductions. 
I'm so glad to have you back. It's so funny. You know, I had to get on some people because when you did your um, why you were for reparations, because you were like, no, I'm just for them to get their money. You're like, but I'm not worried about that. I want to see what they're going to do. And he was like, they don't, he doesn't even care about reparations. I was like, he said he was willing to give us quadrillions. He just wants to see what we're going to do with it because he knows it's going to be great. I was like, shut up and listen. <laughs> I, I yes just guys. just listen no i love it i love it i love it i love but it i'm actually looking forward to like i said um we're gonna take some time off at the end of the year and during that time i want to do interviews with everybody so john i'm actually really looking forward to like really getting deep into your bam and just really laying it out for people because as much as people talk trash there were so many people who were so excited that you were talking about bam so i'm looking forward to that next up will be Ida. How you doing today? Yeah, you made it. It's all nice and early. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm I'm drinking tea, not even coffee. Okay. <laughs> um, well, it's hard to go after John. He always has this very uh <laughs> great sound and great content. <laughs> um yeah, I'm here uh from Berkeley via New York from from the Balkans. So um I I, um, I came here via via um, Tim Black's uh, shaming of the white left, and uh, upon hearing his words, they they struck me, and uh, and I wanted to be better. So here I am. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Next, Miss Lovely Danette. Hi, I am um, Danette from the coast of Georgia, and I am happy to be here. Thank you, Danette. All right, Doc, you're up. Okay, uh, so I was just doing some research real quick. Hi, I'm, I'm Doc. Uh, I'm from Iowa. Everybody knows me. Um, like, real quick, um, since we're talking about John Brown today, let me make some recommendations first before, before we get into the show. One is a, a movie called John Brown Holy War, John Brown's Holy War. And it's an American experience from PBS. It's basically a biography of his entire life. And it talks about his, his struggle uh, for abolition in terms of his religion. And unlike a lot of the abolitionists that he was current with, he actually really did not only support the end of slavery through abolition he also supported radical equality with with black americans and he he did that in his life where there was a, a famous poet that visited his house his house at one point and he brought some folks that he was working with in the community up in new york uh into his house and he was he was eating with them and calling them mr and mrs and the poet was like oh this is a radical thing i've never heard black people addressed as mr and mrs before uh, but he was eating with, with black folks at his table. And the guy was so impressed by this because he'd never met another white person, even staunch abolitionists that, that would actually eat with, with black people at their table. Uh, so that was kind of a radical, even a radical thing at that time. Plus uh, another book, John Brown abolitionist. Uh, it, you can get that anywhere you can buy books. That's a fascinating uh, biography of his life. And it really kind of like sets John Brown's activities into a historical context of what's going on in the country uh, while he's actually working for abolition. And so I'm really glad to be part of this. If we talk about John Brown uh, in, in context with what Sam wants to talk about as well, I'll be, I'll be pretty happy. Thank you very much. All right, yes, no, I'm excited about all of it. Like I'm over here on YouTube looking for the video, but I may just have to go to PBS. 
because PBS has everything on there for free. But I wanted to yeah, see I, if I could steal it in a. Put I got a DVD, on. but I think you can also find it on on either PBS or or YouTube. One if not, burn the DVD so I can uh, send me like an MP4 so I can put it on the YouTube channel because you know I'm good for stealing. Like we, I can't, I can't monetize because I steal so much content. So I might as well just keep it up, right? It's all well, good. I could work on that today. <laughs> but alrighty, Mud, go ahead and uh, finish up the intro for us. Uh, yeah, they call me Mud. You can find me on all of my social media um, at of lineage. That's Twitter, Instagram, and Clubhouse. Um, yeah, uh, that's. Pretty much it. Let's get on with the show. Actually, I think Patricia's just coming back in, so we'll give her a second to do her intro, and then we'll get popping. And I think we'll let, I think we'll let Doc start off by telling us a little bit about John Brown, just so people can get a little overview. But go ahead, Patricia. Yeah. Hi. These are my gaming headsets. Right. Oh yeah, that's way better. <laughs> you sound like a yes, whole I'm... professional. <laughs> I'm Patricia Palumbo. I live in Vermont, and what are you, I'm going to have to prepare an elevator speech. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an artist. And well, I was an artist for half my life and an IT person for the other half, basically, with a whole bunch of other things. And, you know, I just gradually came up and becoming more and more dissatisfied with our system. In the last, I don't know, three years or so, I've been very much into supporting black issues so that's why i'm here well we appreciate you yeah. i appreciate you all right doc go ahead and kick us off by talking a little bit about john brown and then i'll start jumping around like i normally do all right so john brown was born in like uh he was born in the early uh, i think he was born in 1800 actually now that i think about it uh so he was born there and he was born in in the what was part of the country at that time um and he was uh, basically a, a son of a, uh, a farmer or some some of a son of a I don't know anyway his dad was some professional just you can go ahead and cut that out I don't know what his dad did who cares but he was a very very staunch Calvinist and he really believed that uh, that you know God was watching him at all times and everything like that he had like sixteen kids and he really firmly believed that uh, that abolishing slavery slavery was the biggest moral evil uh of his time and from the very beginning uh there was a story about when he was taking some food to uh, ohio or something like that with his dad and he was uh he saw a farmer whipping some black kid into the dirt and it was it so profoundly affected him because he he wondered how it was that this man could treat this kid like that person wasn't even a human being and oh, he had humanity. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he he was, you know, say what you want, but the vast majority of the population in the country didn't see black people as as full human beings at the time. And, you know, you, you get that from the Constitution on forward. But John Brown, you know, recognized the humanity of this boy that was being lashed by this this farmer. And that basically, uh, you know, sort of set him on the, the path that he uh, that he eventually died on. Um, so, uh, throughout his life, uh, professionally speaking, he was a failure. He failed at basically everything he ever did. 
Uh, he tried to sell cotton. Uh, he tried to sell sheep wool. He tried to sell, you know, f- farm goods. He tried to be a tanner. You know, he, he had all these farm ideas and they all failed. They all they were commercial failures. He's a miserable failure. And throughout his entire life, he was constantly dodging the bankruptcy courts. Uh, they were coming after him. There was one incident uh, where they went to foreclose on his farm and he and his sons hold up in the, you know, the, the barn and were fighting off the sheriff and everything like that. They finally repossessed his farm and, and kicked him off the land and everything. I mean, just an abject failure. And he swore in like 1841 uh, in front of an abolitionist meeting that he would fight uh, against slavery and for the abolition of slavery and for the free freedom of black people in the United States uh, with his dying breath. He swore that. And throughout the 1840s and 50s, he really kind of felt like a, like a failure uh, with regard to keeping this oath. It was a, a very important thing for him. Um, in the early 1850s, when they passed the fugitive slave laws and this kind of stuff, and then they were trying to bring uh, Kansas into the country as a slave state, he and his sons went off to Kansas and ended up uh, going out one night. This is where he got famous. He ended up going out one night and hacking like five pro-slavery people in Kansas to death with swords. And it was like a massacre at night. And although this was in response to the threats that he and his family were getting from the pro-slave people in the territory, uh, he finally, I guess, decided he had had enough. He supposedly prayed before he hacked him to death, but he eventually killed five people. And then they were involved in a bunch of other stuff where his, his kids got shot and killed in this attack of the city of Lawrence, uh, where the slaves just slavers went, just went on a rampage in that city. Um, he eventually left and went back east on a speaking tour, and he started raising money and weapons for this plan that he had where he was going to go down into Virginia and um, start arming uh, slaves to have an an uprising. He believed that if he started an uprising down there, slaves would would basically take their farm implements and start killing their slave masters, and then they would all run off to the Appalachian Mountains and, uh, and basically build a base there where they would go around the South and liberate slavery by force. His uh, inspiration was the, the Maroon fight in uh, Jamaica. So if you, if you look at the history of the Maroons in Jamaica, uh, where ex-slaves ran away and, and lived in the mountains, uh, mountain strongholds, and eventually liberated themselves, that was his inspiration. Uh, instead of that, the plan at Harper's Ferry, where he was going to get the weapons, kind of uh, fell flat. Uh, they did get some weapons, but nobody rose up in their defense. Meanwhile, the militia surrounded him in the arm- armory. Uh, his son was shot to death, and he was captured eventually. A bunch of other people uh, were killed, and he was put on trial. And at this point, they said John Brown was an absolute failure uh, in everything that he ever did. He was a failure in Kansas. He was a failure at Harper's Ferry. Uh, but they allowed him to speak in his own defense, and that's where he really started to shine. In his last couple months of life, he started laying out a very firm case, not only for the abolition of slavery, but also for the free freedom and equality of all black men uh, in the United States, black men and women in the United States. And this so impressed the North that it so like changed the attitude of slavery uh, in the North so that when by 1862 and 1863, when the Emancipation Proclamation came along and then the Gettysburg Address, people actually started seeing the Civil War as being about slavery because of what John Brown did. John Brown was eventually hung uh, in December and he, um, he died as a martyr and they started writing songs about him. Uh, the song John Brown's Body 
John Brown's body lies moldering in the grave became the what's known as the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And uh, and so, you know, he was a, a hero just for like the last few months of his life, a couple months of his life before he was finally hung uh, for the cause of abolition. And that's John Brown. Uh, people take ex- inspiration from him because while there were a lot of abolitionists going on at the time and, you know, publishing newspapers and speaking out publicly for the abolition of slaves, the vast majority of them did not believe that slaves were equal. They wanted to abolish slavery and then send freed- freedmen back to Africa. Uh, John Brown did not. John Brown saw him as equal parts of the American uh, body politic and wanted to incorporate him there. So he was a bit different in that way. And that's the history of John Brown in a nutshell. Thank you so much for that. And I love how you, um, I love actually the whole story. Ooh, that's going to be a lot for some people, but hey, we're here. This is America. Welcome to true American history. <laughs> but um, uh, all right. So I love that you talked about like how when he saw the, um, the black boy being whipped, that it just did something to him. And it just kind of rolls back to that whole post-traumatic slave syndrome with uh, Dr. Joy McGrew, when she was talking about like, if I stomped a puppy out right here, you would be traumatized. He was traumatized because he saw this happening to a human being. The same way if we were to walk down the street and see this happening in this day and age, we would be traumatized. So, um, so from there, we were going to kind of talk about the cost of allyship. So I want to show a couple little clips from my favorite, uh, from one of my favorite YouTube finds that I found, which is A Time for Burning, which is about um, Ernie Chambers. It's really about, uh, it's really about a preacher in Iowa who right around the time of them right around the time that they were going to implement the Civil Rights Act, he was trying to get his congregation to integrate with Black folks in the town. And like, so I'm not going to play the whole thing. I'm just going to show a couple clips, but just so you guys can kind of see like how this all plays out. But we'll start with my favorite Ernie Chambers clip that Ryan Knight stole and tried to make about the government, but it was really about white people. But my white people here aren't going to be offended by it because he, they know he's not talking to them because they actually do the work and talk to white people about the issues and they actually do the work. So they're not worried about it. Somebody was a little upset about my last video that I put up about how white people um, care more about dogs than they do black people. But I was like, well, you know, I was if it, if it's if it, if it's if it doesn't pertain to you, then don't be upset about it, you know? A hit dog will holler. Okay, so we're going to start with my favorite little Ernie Chambers. So he comes in to talk to Ernie Chambers, so we're going to start right here. Okay. So this is the preacher, and he's trying to go up and get people to be about it. Can you, okay, can you all see my screen? I've heard so many Christians use the word nigger. Yes. By what we say, by how we act, we teach, we witness. Well, thank you, Pastor Youngdahl. I know we have heard and seen a lot today, and uh, we Christians need to be up and doing. I know that. Thank you. The few particulars that make Omaha different from New York are just incidental. Mm-hmm. The problem exists because white people think they're better than black people and they want to oppress us and they want us to allow ourselves to be oppressed. Well, this is the big, I agree with you uh, perfectly. This is the basic problem. Then what do you that want to white people uh, think they're better than that I can others? Do. I can't solve the problem. You guys pull the strings that close schools. You guys draw the boundaries that keep our kids restricted to the ghetto. 
You guys write up the restrictive covenants that keep us out of houses. So it's up to you to talk to your brothers and your sisters and persuade them that they have a responsibility. We've assumed ours for over 400 years, and we're tired of this kind of stuff now. We're not going to suffer patiently anymore. No more turning the other cheek, no more blessing our enemies, no more praying for those who despitefully use us. We're going to show you that we've learned the lessons you've taught us, we've studied your history, and you did not take over this country by singing we shall overcome you did not gain control of the world like you have it now by dealing fairly with a man and keeping your word you're treaty breakers you're liars you're thieves you rape entire continents and races of people then you wonder why these workers don't have any confidence or trust in you your religion means nothing your law is a farce and we see it every day you demonstrated it in alabama and i can say you because you're part of the whole system you profit from it in fact you make your living from it you couldn't walk around and talk to people, stand up in your pulpit on Sunday and preach nice little songs and say, now we're going to give thanks to the Lord for he is good and old Jesus be among us. As far as we're concerned, your Jesus is contaminated, just like everything else you've tried to force upon us is contaminated. Mm -hmm. well, so you uh, can have him. And here's what I'll say. I wish you would follow Jesus like we followed him. Because if you did that, then we'd be in charge tomorrow. I think the problem is so bad that we can have no understanding at all. You think it's gotten to the point where there can never be that reconciliation? Then? No. You talk about justice, and it means one thing to you, and we talk about it, it means something else to us. Mm -hmm. And it'll always be that way. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd like you to know I have a terrible feeling against preachers, because I think you guys are the ones who are largely responsible for the problem in the first place. And you can accept it or not any way you choose. And for you, this may be an excursion, you know, in what, across what, the what line. What about the person that wants to listen? I genuinely feel that I want to listen. Well, if you listen and try to do something, you get kicked out of your church. See, that's, that's the way your people are. Well, we do make changes. Like, I mean, so the changes that have come have been bad. God bless you, brother. Come back and see us again sometime. And don't look back in anger. All right, I got some more. I'm gonna skip to the next section, but y'all, whoo, we go from Doc taking people's soul with John Brown to Ernie Chambers taking people's soul. <laughs> but if y'all got anything while I'm pulling up, while I fast forward to the next clip, I want to go to in the video. <laughs> yeah, I was just noticing that that preacher was sweating. He took his soul. Yeah. Yeah. And he got out, got the hell out of there. He took his whole soul. Ernie Chambers is no joke, man. Give me a second, y'all. I think, John, John, you, I, I saw you, you noted that, um, or opined that he didn't expect that from the barber, and I think that's right. I think that there's a, you know, part of the, your mind gets blown as a, as a white person in America is when. This is, there are an entire ways of seeing the world that are not fathomable to you that exist in a whole other culture you don't even know exists. So it's like the, it's like very disorienting, I think, um, when you begin on this journey because you're, you don't understand how it can be. First of all, you don't understand your own prejudices against your own people. So a good starting point would be to wonder why, um, why wouldn't a barber know all this? But I think you're right. I think it's like there's a place for everybody. 
And if you're this educated, why aren't you a tenured professor somewhere or a preacher? Um, which is a good question to ask, actually. But I, you know, that's there was a lot of different levels of sweating, physical sweating. There was some spiritual sweating happening as well. <laughs> for preacher, for me. That man, but the, but that guy, I, was, I was hoping that he, I was hoping that he would come back and 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 acknowledge the fact that what the barber said was correct. That like, if you try to make a change. You get kicked out of your church. <laughs> well, because well, that's exactly what happens, man. I know, Doc. I'm about to show it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. I don't think so, he thought it like, Cut to. I want. I wanted to say, if you're a barber in a black barber shop, you are the preacher. <laughs> yeah, there. You know, super mm. Right, right. That's the thing. The white liberals know exactly where to go. You know, they right. know you go to the church, go to the barbershop, go to maybe some of the jazz shows or stuff like that. It's all this kind of, just like you said, Gabriel, like this superficial knowledge of culture and community and things like this. And that's what I love about hanging out with this crew and doing a lot of my own research and just soaking it in is that it's such a depth of knowledge. It's such a whole, there's a whole, you know, culture is one way, but whole america i mean there's a whole thing going on so yeah the, all the white liberals everyone knows you know you go to this shop this shop but i don't think you, you sometimes you really know the depth of it that that you it's know, about you the get, depth that's right you know, yeah so yeah that, that's a good point i hope you guys can hear me all right my my audio is a little funkier today but no you sound fine oh it sounds sound. good yeah no but you i i have glad, really glad you good audio that. now you have regular negro audio here. <laughs> and i love <laughs> we got three italians in this stream today what's going I'm on noticing that. no I'm irish noticing. it's awesome <laughs> like i i'm gonna need you like you normally have all your professional stuff all of us are over here working on our bootleg budget <laughs> <laughs> I, I i have to have my highest standards for this show i love you guys a whole shitload of Irish right here. Oh no! Oh no! No, Patricia, Dad you're nothing like but Italian. Much Italian. But that's what's coming through, dear. That's what's coming through. He's in Vermont oh. getting drunk off syrup. No, this we got time some Irish. Yeah. You want to hear a quick joke? Yes. <laughs> Can I air it? Is the question? Sure. Mud will decide. It's a cultural thing. It's like, um, why do the Irish always answer a question with a with a question? Why? Do we now? <laughs> There's a facetiousness there in the culture. That's why it's funny. And if you're familiar with it, it's more funny. <laughs> Do we now? Isn't it interesting that Italians and Croatians and Irish, though Catholic, um, not Protestant? They're I different wonder, kind of Catholic. There is they? something. There's something to it. Italians and Irish are different kind of Catholic. Well, that's true. Problem with the Pope. Th that's huh? true, Doc. You got a problem what? with the Pope? No, <laughs> hey, I was oh, raised God. a Lutheran, man. I'm a German. I don't know what you guys are even talking oh, about. Oh, you yeah. heretic. So, so, you get me wrong. I so Doc, definitely Doc got both cultures. A white man. He is in the dominant, the dominant ethnicity right. of whiteness. Right. Doc is laid down. We're the, we're the best white. We're the best whites. You're the most whites. Germans the most the emotionally whites. destroyed. <laughs> like the men. The stiff upper lip. Well, see, my, fam see my family got to the States before all that stuff happened over there. So I don't know what you're talking oh, about. I see. <laughs> he, <laughs> we're still like, the best. We're still the best of all you guys. Doug. Doc, let me guess. You got here too late for slavery, but you left there soon enough that you don't know about no Hitler. <laughs> you got that sweet no. spot. 
Well, to be honest with you, I got here in 1976. As long as so they brought the sausages, that's all that matters. As long as that's you brought right. those tasty sausages, sauerkraut would be nice. Shut up and get to work. Yeah. That's how it works. So funny. I call myself I call myself a Hoosier, so I don't, you know, Hoosier American. <laughs> We're a special breed in and of ourselves. And Patricia, it's funny that you're Irish because my mother is like 36% Irish from her uh, 23 and me. So that is funny. That's why when I be cracking jokes about us being family, I'm not like 100% not joking. serious. Like, <laughs> I'm serious, but it's a joke. I'm joking, but I'm serious. <laughs> like, our bloodlines be running. I just, this, I'm not competing. <laughs> uh -oh. My mother uh -oh. had her DNA tested and she's 100% ancient ulster which oh my is extremely goodness. rare so it got me kind of like looking into things you know i'm fascinated with the migration of peoples it is really rare because i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> okay i'll tell um ancient ulster is like northern ireland okay we found um settlements there from eight thousand years ago okay yeah and uh there was an indigenous culture there oh yeah <laughs> before the english came and every other the moors and whatever it's a great place to conquer and it's it was like um redlining but without the slavery mm. the game of thrones the wildlings up there <laughs> the skulls that's them that's patricia yeah. the land was owned by english lords when she's not with us she's painted her face is all blue <laughs> the way the irish still fight protestant catholic blows me away like there's still a freaking apartheid line in ireland today it really is something i mean the the the, the christian fighting that still goes on like you don't really hear about it too much anymore but yeah northern ireland they they will the irony shoot you if you're the wrong religion <laughs> come in destroy the culture give you a new one and then have you fight about the yeah. political aspects of it it's pretty amazing colonialism is is brutal yeah that's what it, it is something else it definitely is something else we're doing that thing where we start trailing off deeply, but it seems like these old these old you know catholic protestant fights have made their way into the states and and left you know they keep leaving scars on us here to this day mm. <laughs> well, I, I woke up just to tell you and you're you're playing um about the culture. There was, mm -hmm. no, I forget the title of it earlier. It's called The Miseducation of Black Boys. Mm -hmm. And remember eugenics and all that coming out in school. But I woke up this morning with Irish music going in my head with this like idea like, yes, and you go and you tell this, this, the uh, Irish people who are here, remember what happened to you. It's time to fight for the Black people. You got to read how, have you read how the Irish became white? No, but I. Oh, I'll send, you, I'll send you the PDF. <laughs> There is literally in yeah. the first chapter, there's a whole fight about how like the Irish in Ireland were telling the Irish here, like, how can you not be abolitionists? How can you not be against slavery after everything we went here, went exactly. through here? Like it's a whole, yeah, it's a whole thing. But all right, let me, let me get to the next. Yeah, they became cops though. So it's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why she has to read Bart, the rest of the Bart. book. <laughs> I said, I said the first chapter. <laughs> my, my grandfather had a bar at Patty's pub, but anyway. I don't want to bring it too far over to. <laughs> oh, I, um, yeah, I'll be back. Okay. All right. I'll pull this up. Here we go. Here's the next piece. So here's Ernie Chambers getting into the Deacon. 
four days, my first opportunity to listen came. I guess it was at this, I know it was at this meeting that I began to understand what this urgency that Bill had been preaching and talking to us about all meant. Which is the bigger threat to American democracy and the Constitution, a Vietnamese mother suckling her child or a white racist governor in Alabama who says, in so many words, to hell with the Constitution and Johnson and everything else? Which is the greater threat to democracy? We're in between. We're at the point now where our demonstrations don't work anymore. You have only one choice. Race riots. You see, or forget it. All we're really asking is to have people obey the Constitution. That takes care of right there. So it could be done overnight. There's no other way to say it. In other words, if Christians would, would, would follow the preachment of the Bible, and if, if non-Christians or others who did not choose to follow the Bible would follow the Constitution, you're saying that the Negro would have his freedom and would have it instantly. I have done as much as I know how to do, unless you can tell me some other things I can do to change. I have gone to groups and I've tried to change them. I've tried with my own friends. I've tried with friends in other states. I have spoken before the state legislature. I have gone everywhere I've been asked to go to try to explain or interpret or do anything. I got laughed at by some. I got cold-shouldered by others. I got sneered at by others. I have not been spoken to by many people for years, and personally, I don't give a damn. But I'm simply telling you that's the way it is in Omaha, and that's the way it is in every place in this United States. Uh, and the reason you have so much frustration is that your own white people will not listen to you. And that's this just right. bears out what we say. How long has this man been your preacher? One year. All right, then if he's spoken the truth, there's an indication that he hasn't tried to do the right thing. How has this church responded to it? Have they been favorable? Have they said they're going to rededicate themselves and do the right thing toward their black brothers? There's been no, no outward change in the attitude of his church members toward him since he started telling the truth on this issue. Now you're asking, of course, a... a personal uh, opinion and I, and I, can, I feel the progress has been slow but uh, do they react positively or negatively to what he says they don't do I anything that I, I suppose I'd, I uh, would rather not answer that uh, uh, are you a Christian certainly you're Christian because you believe in Christ and you know that he never hesitated to take a position on a moral issue regardless of who might oppose him. You're not asking my uh, opinion or my position. You're asking uh, the position of, of the church. I can, I can only speak for myself. I cannot speak for the church. Have you observed any change in the church's attitude toward your minister since he began telling the truth on this issue? I think so, yes. Now, what, what is it a change that is negative or one that is positive? Oh. Is it more negative than positive? The negative element of a argument always seems more dynamic. The people that are opposed to things, I feel, speak up more than those that are in the well, rejection. Is his position in his church more secure now than it was before he started telling the truth? Or is it less secure? Do you think he might be considering moving from this locale, or are they perhaps considering moving him from this locale? We don't, we don't remove ministers in that way. Uh, 
A minister's calling to a church is calling of God. God is, is directing him to tell the truth according to your faith, more or less. That's that's true. Then if these people, they must all be reacting very positively to him since they feel that God sent him and God is telling him what to say. His word is is echoing and mirroring to you what God has on his mind for this congregation. So his position obviously is more secure now than ever before because so, he's telling more the truth, right? I don't believe that uh, any of the apostles, uh, no, disciples I mean, were, were secure free. because they followed Christ. Uh, I don't recall uh, the percentage, but uh, uh, they didn't all die of old age. But we're not talking about disciples going to non-believers to bring people from out of the world into the church. We're talking about a Christian church where all the people profess to believe in Christ. Oh, yeah, you didn't inferiority complex. It's not me giving you an inferiority complex. It's just that you know what the truth is and you don't want to tell it. We're fighting ignorance in the place where there should be the most enlightenment. I Sounds like how I feel when I'm talking the about the left. Wait 350 years to preach true Christianity. As far as I'm, I'm concerned, the church can wait forever. No possibility for repentance. Oh, I would say that. It would take some great miracle, like little green men landing by the millions from Mars on Earth. This would so shake the white world they'd forget all about racism. They worry about the green colors. That's a lie. Something we would still worry about change the white man. I bet you, uh, in our congregation, you could change a lot of people's attitudes just by getting to know them. All I'm saying, Earl, all I'm saying, Earl, is that we have 1,200 white people that don't even know any Negroes, or very few of them do. When that church returns to where it should have been in the first place, that is the day that I'll walk back into the church. I will give my life to the church. I said, love is my premise. Yes. But at the same time, he talked hate, 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 but his eyes were full of love. But it did. It got to me, and I think this was the first time, too, that I realized days later. It took me days to realize it. But uh, I had, this was what we were suggesting in this visitation, not to encounter any chambers. <laughs> but that, that people could sit down and talk with one another, and these same things would come up. We've got our foot raised to take this first step. All right, sorry, let me pop, let me stop my video. Okay, y'all got anything for that little thing before I play the very, very end when they lolly him out? <laughs> I love those old American ideals, you know, the, the sweater, you know, going to church, the racist kind of pastors coming in and out, you know, getting all offended, making a big hullabaloo out of progress and taking your time and cookie cutter house you know i mean all these ideals that went into a you know this 50s thing you know when you see it it's just it's like a twilight zone episode you know because it's black and white just this but this is really the uh kind of a lot of the seeds of what a lot of a lot of everyone you know likes to talk about you we watch a lot of these old documentaries and these old news reports and you realize these were all on like there were three or four news channels. These were on CBS, PBS, right on time. Everybody's watching them. Like, you know, you used to have these things on TV all the time. And it's just like, you talk about culture. I mean, this culture was just so ingrained, you know, dad just with a sweater, just in the wife, just, yeah, yeah, honey. Yeah. Inter interesting yep. enough, John, the Twilight Zone was far more progressive than these guys are. <laughs> yeah, I love the Twilight far Zone. Far more yeah. progressive. 
So I want to talk about that, uh, the woman mm -hmm. who's done so much for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, because there were some interesting exchanges in the chat, which I want to hear about. But also, I just want to observe that that's like, a, a, if, if, if she sounds sympathetic to you, um, that's good. You know, it's not a bad, it's not a bad thing, but, but she's, she's kind of, um, she's kind of a hot mess in the sense that she, her intentions are good, but she's kind of like going into wherever, you know, the spaces she's normally in. And it sounds like she's just kind of making everyone angry and, um, kind of feeling right, self-righteous about it, but not making anyone feel any differently. And importantly, has been doing that for years, it sounds like, or for a very long time. Um, don't don't try this at home. <laughs> if that's the approach, if you're like, oh, I could do that. I, I could piss some people off. Yeah, that's not that's not what this is about. If you if you're angry and you want to kind of alienate the people around you, there are lots of other ways you can do it. Do not put more resentment. You know, don't create more resentment against black people. Do not. Use black folks as your excuse for pissing people off around you. You know, do, just deal with your own stuff. This is a extremely important, in my opinion. It's some of the hardest work for for us as as white allies because it's very easy to sort of you know either you walk into the space and you're like, oh, I'm getting like people are getting really mad at me. I should have been ready for that, but what do I do now? I hadn't really thought about that. Or you go in and you're like, people are going to be mad at me at the message I have. And that's just what it's going to be like. And you've got this sort of like combative, you know, preconception of what's going to happen. That probably means you're not actually doing this for the reasons you think you're doing. You know, that's not allyship isn't like that. Do you know what I mean? It's not that kind of a it shouldn't it shouldn't be you going out and picking a bunch of fights that actually in the end aren't going to affect you all that much. If that's the approach you take, people are just going to be like, wow, what a real kind of radical cool guy he he really has some you know really extreme views but you'll find white people who will agree with you and that'll be kind of the end of it you won't move it and i think um we should talk a little bit about that but also doc i i kind of liked some of the you you were making some good um observations about her i thought too in there well i what i was you know my thing has always been like you know the the best thing that white people can do is talk to other white people about this kind of stuff and it shouldn't be with the goal of making people pissed off it should be with the goal of basically saying like this is our responsibility this is what we got to do you know listen i'm i'm not a black person coming in here preaching at you i'm a white person and you can like you don't have to be like on the defensive when you talk to me i'm not i'm, I'm pointing the finger at you but i'm also saying you need to change and i think that you know, a, a white person can talk to a white person a lot easier, I think, even still today, than a black person can talk to a white person because a white person just automatically shuts their brain off. And this is this is one of the challenges I think that that people that are committed to racial equality in our society have is that we still have a lot of that that whole thing like, oh, you're making me feel guilty. Oh, you're giving me like what that fellow said, you're giving me the inferiority complex. You know, that's not what it's about. That's not what it was about. That's not what he was trying to do. But th there's something in that guy that's that that made him say that that makes him feel bad for believing the shit that he does. Well, yeah, he should feel bad. But if it's a white person talking to him, he can probably hear it uh, maybe a little bit easier than than if if someone was someone from not 
his community just like a white person going to a black group and saying look this is this is what you guys got to do black people you know it's the same it's the same thing but in, in reverse and so the thing that i noticed is that he was mentioning <laughs> he's pissed off that he's getting an inferiority complex and and that's because he wants to maintain his superiority complex and he doesn't like people trying to strip that from him and i found that kind of funny i think that that woman probably suffers from the same same thing doc i uh, i love the fact that you brought up um how how people react in this situation when um white people react in this situation when confronted by black people about being defensive and shutting off their brain and we kind of see that like he was not being intellectually honest about the conversation having a whole semantic game about what it meant as far as like uh um whether or not uh the preachers preaching the way that he was preaching about race had a negative impact on or received a, a negative reaction from um, the, the members of the church. And it's like, it was just so hard for him to be honest about that in that moment. And it partly is because of the racial dynamics of Eddie Chambers being a black man, questioning him about this. Um, yeah, that was kind of like the most uh, like frustrating part about this is because I think that uh, a lot of black people have had these type of situations and it's kind of what was just like what is described in the book uh, white fragility but it's like a lot of people don't want to really be honest about how how these dynamics play out and and when when um we have these discussions yeah. but right. you know this is a prime example and we see it over and over again yeah and that, i think that that's you know just to build off what you said i think that's probably probably part of the problem that we have in this country where like okay so Every once in a while, I, I I decide to get a little crazy and try to slip into the mind of a Trumpist and try to figure out what they're what they're on, and I, I have a real difficult time doing that because I can't like figure it out. But like to some degree, I I think that they're just like pissed off about the fact that people are lecturing them all day, and so it's like you know you guys think we're stupid. Well, we'll fucking show you how stupid we can be. We'll show you what stupid is, man. And I think that coming coming from you know white people you know, they can think one of two things of me, you know, they can think I'm either, I'm either making some good points, which they probably won't, or they can think that I'm a total race trader and they're going to shut my, shut their brain off anyway. And I'm fine with either one of those. I win either way, you know, cause I don't have to deal with these stupid assholes anymore. If they think I'm a race trader, if they just, you know, shut their mind off. And if they, you know, they start thinking about things that that's a win too. So, but if it's coming from someone outside the community, then it's going to be a totally different reaction. It's going to be a really hostile reaction. And that's not going to lead to anything, anything positive at all. So that's just, yeah, just, I agree exactly with what you said, Mud. because i remember gabriel in the first episode you were talking about like it'll be okay you know you may lose some friends you may like kind of get into that like let people understand like because you kind of gloss over it but they're like you have to be strategic in how you do this work yeah i think that's right and i think i i think they're gonna i'll be really interested to see what people have to say in this group because i think there are a lot of um personal experiences, but that's, yeah, that, that's it. So uh, one of the things that I think um, sort of a, a striking, I think a striking moment for the, for the white ego is we experience, we see, but don't either don't register or don't acknowledge 
um, situations where in mixed conversation, in conversation with white and black people, white people will literally act as if a black person isn't there. So you'll say something and I mean, you can, it can be the most eloquent thing in the world. There could be statistics behind it, whatever, very, you know, it's not a small comment that somebody might have not heard or whatever. And white people will be like, anyway, you know, and literally will it not acknowledge. So this is it, when you, as a white person, when you have this experience for yourself, that means you're at the beginning of actually saying something important that people so much don't want to hear that now they're willing to even turn you off. Um, and, th and that's an important indicator because you do. So what happens is these are two um, worlds that kind of coexist that don't necessarily, one's reality and one's kind of a construct built around preserving privilege. And, uh, you know, when this, whenever the, whenever reality starts to bump up against privilege, people will just push it out. And if you're a part of that, you get pushed out. And that can happen in a myriad, you know, number of ways, but that, that's the, the intersection and the causality there, the thing that, that is causing that to happen is that you're talking about the consequences of living in the comfortable space that we live in and not paying attention to the price. You're not, once you start counting the cost in front of other white folks, that that's when you get the consequences and it can really be kind of myriad, but that's that's uh, maybe for me kind of a starting point. What I've observed, once you say to somebody, well, you know, when you do that, this is the price over here. You know, when you choose to put your kids in that school, that that means this school has this kind of an outcome. So, you know, maybe stop complaining about the conditions in the school and seeing how bad public schools are when this is where you put your money. As soon as you start doing that, you, you're going to start to get the kind of static back. And when you get deeper and say, and the origins of that is, you know, we've never stopped segregating in terms of resources. That's when people are going to start shutting you off because they don't, they don't want to be exposed to economics. Yeah. Once you tell them that their money comes from a pile of money, not your hard work, your, you know, you and your bootstrapping family's hard work, but a pile of money that was stolen from somebody else that there's a time limit on, you know, that's got to get repaid or everything's going to basically collapse. You, that's, that's a whole, it's literally a whole nother matrix. And so people in their own self-preservation, uh, Doc talked about trying to get in the head of Trumpists. And I think it's important to try to understand this, that you're, you're giving people the kind of reality shift that can make you feel like literally dizzy and nauseous. Like you're like, Whoa, wait a minute. What are you saying? Like, none of this is real. I haven't, my degree from Harvard wasn't earned. I'm not one of the greatest people. There's a Seinfeld episode where he, he's done something, as usual, Jerry Seinfeld has done something horrible to some woman he's dating. And she says, you're awful. You're the worst person I've ever met. You're just, and she hangs up on him. And he, and he kind of thinks for a moment. He says, could it be that my mother was wrong? And it's like this idea that like, we're just so sure that we're wonderful and perfect as implausible as it is that it's, it blows our mind. Like, could it, could it be that we don't deserve more wealth and power and privilege than anyone in the world? I'm not better than billions of other people. Is that possible? Let me think about it. So that gives us an idea of how delusional the people that we're kind of, you know, that, that we're trying to persuade um, actually are. 
it looks, it looks like John, you've given us a, um, a link. Yes, it's the why I'm no longer talking to white people about race from the Guardian. Oh, good, good. Yeah, that's just an article, but it's actually a whole book. It's just like a quick book review. Yeah, I was just kind of saying this whole thing about just like white virtuality and just the almost pointlessness of having, you know, some of these panel things without doing it the, the right way, you know, and trying to really, you know, be actionable. And, you know, John Brown has a lot of those quotes as well. He's like, you know, he was really against the Boston abolitionist scene, you know, and they, the, all the talking and the discussions. And even Dr. Darity's book talks about some of the... Um, on page uh, 135, there's this abolitionist Edward Philbrick, the head of Boston Concern. He was this rich, like, abolitionist, but he still said that Black people weren't ready uh, to have the responsibility of land ownership. So, like, this whole, you know, unity thing, yeah, a lot of people just get kind of sick and tired of it. But, you know, I think that's why Malcolm X liked John Brown so much. It was like the one white ally because John Brown was... You know, he did come from a pretty wealthy family and he did talk a lot about financial donations and kind of being in the in behind the scenes a lot. And, you know, Malcolm X said, yeah, if you want to help, just donate money, stay behind the scenes. Don't try to, you know, make attention for yourself. And I think a lot of the white allies in a lot of these spaces, it does prioritize white feelings. And, you know, you can't I mean, there is as much as we love white fragility, there is criticism that, you know, a lot of these authors may, you know, get a lot of credit for themselves and stuff like that so i think it's it's always been an important debate so i just i recommended that book in the chat because it's kind of about the same thing but john brown was saying the same thing he's like yeah i just want to help i want to <laughs> arm people and i want to you know you know uh, he had like six really wealthy backers behind him that he helped funnel a lot of money around he helped the underground railroad like and he didn't write down a lot of documents these books that you could read about john brown they're cool but a lot of what john brown did we just don't know because he was just he didn't really do it for a lot of the glory and i think there's a good lesson in that for all of us myself including all of us white allies is that you know it's not going to be about our popularity but you know we could use some of that looted money that you talk about gabriel some of our you know things like that so yeah i just i think it's an important discussion we're on the on the backs of a lot of scholarship that book was in 2017 so that's already you know almost four or five years old and you know, it's, I think a lot of people, I mentioned this last time I was on, like a lot of these spaces are getting kind of hostile, you know, they're getting kind of like, you know, get the fuck out of here, white boy kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff, you know, especially on Clubhouse and a lot of these spaces that it's getting more, um, I think, you know, justifiably tense, you know, with, with what's going on. So I love spaces like this because we're at least trying to do it in an, you know, John Brown left a style. We're trying to, you know, focus on action items and things like that. But I want to jump in a little bit with what yeah, you said, John D, because I see some of so sometimes I, you know, I'm always in the chat and I see people saying what Sister Soldier was saying forever ago. Like if white people wanted to end racism, like when white people are passionate about something, they get out in the street and they march. So you're making an, a moral appeal mm -hmm. to a country that doesn't have a moral conscience. Right. The question becomes that when white people feel serious and angry and upset about abortion, they come out in the thousands up to the millions to say, this is what we believe about abortion. Where is the white outcry against white racism that murders African people all around this entire globe? It doesn't exist. So who are these white good people? I want to meet them. I want to I see them. I, 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 I know it's not enough. But that's right. That, 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 
might be all we can get. Uh, you, no, no, and guess what? I don't work with all I can get. Yes. What I work with is what, what I have. Listen, you have to have some confidence yes. in the power of African people amongst ourselves to establish a foundation. We have. I mean, no, we have it. We have, we have utter chaos in our cities, and you've got There's to no black institutions You can have a program. I can say, I'm not saying we built a lot of institutions, sure. and those institutions have not been effective. The majority of millions of African youth in this country are dying mentally, dying spiritually, dying emotionally, dying academically. And you may have a program, Mr. Brown may have a program, but what we got to talk about is an American government that tracks millions of African people who don't go to your program, don't go to Brown's program, millions of African people, not only here, but all around the world. And if we are not honest enough to say, who are our friends? Who are our enemies? To know what a friend is, to know what an enemy is, we will constantly be trying to get into people's parties, to shake our butts with them, to get them to like us, and that's not the question. The question is, what can we build amongst ourselves to secure ourselves from our enemies so that we will be able to survive into the future? They are killing. And they will shut shit down. We saw it this past summer with the George Floyd shit, right? <laughs> it wasn't sustainable, but at least it was for a minute. And it was, we didn't target it into something that actually turned into real change for black people. Actually just um, Joe Biden's just giving us more police. So, and more police and more oversight. So, you know, more boots on uh, poor people's necks. But what I see is black people just being like, if white people wanted to end racism, it would end. So I think what's happening is a lot of ADOS, US Freedmen, black folks in general, are at a point where they want to see more good white people out here talking to their people. And like, they want to see some real change because people are tired. Like, that's what it's really boiling down to. Like, people are getting tired and it's like, you want to embrace people and you want to try to do this, but it's like, it's hard enough for me to get my own black people on board for the things that I need in the community. And not only do I have to do that, I have to come to you and help you. And not only help you, I have to coddle you. I have to treat you well, or else you'll say, well, you're going to lose an ally. You were never a fucking ally. You could have, you could have kept your bullshit from the first, from, from go, from jump. So that's what I think it is. Like for me, I'm lucky because I'm surrounded by you guys. So you guys keep me from going that way. But if y'all catch some of the old episodes, you hear me, I was going off. I was super pissed off, like really pissed off. I was playing back some of those episodes today. I was like, damn, I was going in on the lights. Like, <laughs> like how did y'all make it this far? So like, but yeah, but the, the the thing is, Sam, and, and I I've heard some of your older episodes too, and and yeah, it's true. But like everything you said was right. Oh, so no, sure. I mean, like like how can how can someone take offense at the truth that, that they're really you know down for the truth? You know what I'm saying. And and but, I'm glad that you guys okay. have have stayed here with us. And like I said, but 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 having you guys around me does it. I hate to use the word. It does slightly de-radicalize me against white people. Because I'm like, okay, there's good white people out here. So let me just find them. Because I don't need Sam, I don't, don't, I don't, don't need don't, them. don't don't trust white people. Yeah, you've got no, you've got okay. about hey, hey doc, 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 <laughs> don't 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 get don't get super excited over here. I didn't say all of that. Yeah, don't do that. I said I said that y'all make me a little bit nicer in my speech. All right. Okay. All right, she, still, she still has a, a stockpile at an undisclosed location. 
for when we turn off. I'm still packing up with the rest of the Negroes when we get reparations. Right. <laughs> it's true though. You know Doc, you're right though. It's it's like um you know, uh, our messaging has to include this sort of aware. We, we're on the knife's edge all the time. And this is probably what it means, you know, the, the significance of allyship and the difference, why you end up somewhat alienated is this is what it's like to live in truth. So people who live in comfort don't think about even their own people on a day-to-day basis. And when I say their own people, I mean even their own families. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you saw in Chicago, and I think in a lot of other places, when white parents had to live with their kids because of the pandemic for months and take care of them. In Chicago, we had there, the, the schools did a poll to see whether it was time to start bringing the kids back. Overwhelmingly, black and brown parents said, no, y'all aren't ready yet. You don't have a system in place. Da, da, da. White parents said, yes, please take these children off my hand. I understand there's a risk that they may die. However, I'm willing to take that risk because I can't take them anymore. It, it, when you have in comfort for long enough, you don't, it's like you lose that capacity and then you have the empathy rupture, which is a whole nother level of conversation. But I think doc, you're right about that. Like none of us can fall into like, oh, we're moving in the direction of progress. This is not progress. This is, we're in a building that's on fire. We're probably gonna all burn to death. Yeah. But if we can throw some stuff outside that has some value, great. But the, the, the society that as we know it, that, ex- that exists today is, is crumbling because of this horrible, rotten foundation. And we're just trying to salvage one or two things. Um, we, but we're probably not, my thing is we're probably not gonna make it. But you still have to do what's right. I, I want to clarify my de-radicalize if, if, well, actually I'm finally going to publish this episode because it's only on the Patreon, but after Joe Biden got elected, I was very comfortable with letting every person in this country burn because I was like, if this who you want, fuck it. Like this is who you chose. He going to give all of y'all the nigga treatment. Fuck everybody. That's how I felt. Like I was like, fuck this shit. I'm done. We're oh. fucking doomed. I, I was right there with you, Sam. The world. Yep, so you're not alone. De- yeah, so when I say I'm de-radicalized, I mean, I'm, I'm just like to the point where like I can function and I'm like, okay, we can actually get out here and fight. Because at this point, I was like, fuck it. I'll just sit here and watch y'all burn. Because one thing I have said, I will escape Hatch out of this bullshit. I already told y'all. I, w- I will be sitting in the Capitol. I will be sitting in the Capitol being like, damn, I did everything I could. And you know, I want to say, Sam, I think being here with this group had a similar effect for me. I was at the point where I just, you know, I was so fed up and likewise let it all burn. And and I just I had no hope whatsoever left. So this is this is helpful for me to to find hope and personal growth and finding finding this smaller community you know where we can teach each other and and grow together that's all we have really and community is so important like I I appreciate this community like I love my reset race John Brown leftist community like I love it because it's just, it's a, maybe that it's just a place that I can actually um, express my thoughts 
and not have to explain myself so much. And I really appreciate that. Like, it's nice to have that kind of, that kind of space. So, all right. Um, I wanted to open it up for anybody else who wanted to get back into talking about the cause. I think Danette had her hand up. Go ahead, Danette. Yeah, I just wanted to say that the... Um, Bring your camera up so we can see your face. I just see your um, nose. Thank you. The only thing that's important is what's coming out of my mouth. Um, yes, but you have <laughs> that pretty face and I'd like to see it. Thank you, ma'am. Um, the thing is, is that the level of, like what, what Gabriel was talking about with um, the pandemic, like the level of, you know, when we talk about like the, even the, the, the income gap and the wealth gap between white people and everybody else in the country, there's an experience that less wealthy people have that the more wealthy people don't have. And there's like this, uh, this privilege of oblivion that they get to walk around in. And so what that clip with Ernie Chambers really showed me is that it's still that way. Like it's, it's just, it, it's like a pervasive thing. The mythology of this country being the greatest place on earth and you know everything's so wonderful and we're this melting pot none of that is true and then yes the nuclear family and and i was just um, having a conversation with my husband this morning about what is considered the traditional family right like two high school sweethearts getting married you know having children having the dog the white picket fence the whole thing that's like the mythology of the country. That's not the reality that the majority of people are living. And this community provides a safe space, not safe space like we need to be coddled, but a place where we can be fully self-expressed and really make a difference, like to regenerate ourselves so that we could go out and make a difference um, during the week. And yes, John, he's, 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 uh, chatting. It's, it's a judgment-free zone where you can say what you want and really express yourself. Except for the N-word. Yes. You can't say the N-word. You probably can't say the C-word either. See you next Tuesday. That's not allowed. Um, and I think that the, you know, I had never, I had never really considered the cost before until a couple of weeks back when Gabriel had mentioned the cost and I thought, wow, there is a cost. I mean, as a black person, we deal with the cost of being black in America all the time, but I had never really considered that when white people go against what is considered traditional um, white way of being, there is, yeah, there's a big cost. And I hadn't like really considered that. So you guys are, pretty amazing people to take the risk that you take. And I have a meeting that I have to get to. Well, I um, appreciate you for being here today. And uh, we're off next week, everybody. So I will see you the week after. People understand that it comes at a cost. And it, you know, even with Black folks, like we already deal with cost. And then when you decide you want to stand up and fight for your people, it comes at a cost. But 
you know, we keep moving and we keep doing what we're going to do because either we're going to fight for a better world or we're just going to sit here and just watch it burn. You know, pick your poison. I would at least say that I tried. Well, I think what's cool about your show is that we have that interesting spot of critiquing the left side of it as well, which also has a very deep and very rich tradition. I was reading about the redneck revolutionaries the other day who, you know, are basically like anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, pretty hard left, but they believe in like gun rights and they show up to protest with guns. So like some of the far left groups are like, oh, we don't want to associate with them. They're white supremacists. And sometimes they call you guys, you know, Russian trolls, white supremacists. So it's an interesting, and same thing with John Brown. He's a terrorist. He's not like a leftist in a lot of these spheres. You know, you're not going to find him on marxist.org, you know, so your guys show is interesting is that it's definitely not in that traditional a sphere of hard left or hard right, which is why, you know, I, I do have it on my little podcast as well as why our views aren't probably as big as some of these other shows, because, you know, John Brown is still like, yeah, I grew up in the town that he was born in and he doesn't have a monument, but Christopher Columbus has a huge monument. So like John Brown, he's not this, he's not like a right-wing terrorist, you know, that you're going to see all these documentaries. He's not this left-wing extremist. It's, it's an interesting, I think reset race is definitely in that space fortunately or unfortunately, but you have to be critiquing the left right now. And a lot of people are doing it. And unfortunately, right now, the only answer people have is the right. I mean, my neighbors now are putting all these Republican signs up again. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, they're coming back, you know? So there's this, um, I don't know, third way. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, what the platform is. I mean, it's still a pretty left platform, you know, the, uh, the jobs guarantee we were talking about, but yeah. it's like we're still critiquing the left quite a lot and there's like the next a lot time of sensitivity have, i want to have that. steve come on the show with us <laughs> to have a conversation because that think would that be would great be but john you didn't call third way the left please yeah no it's just i, I didn't <laughs> want to use that term because it's it's a pretty loaded term but it's like we're there but it's you know it's we need, they're, the it's corporate, sensitivity. they're the corporate yeah. minions that not even minions they're the corporate think tank the, That's I what mean, Yang's trying to do now. Definitely not. Oh, and, and Yang hired Kenny. Woo! Yang is trying to do that. It's a right wing. But I, 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 I think I think it's really important. Like I, I am identified first as a leftist. I'm a left wing socialist, and you know I I'll put that out there all the time. But the thing is, is that so many socialists have gone down this you know class reductionist road, and they basically have have said, well, the only thing going is Karl Marx. And if you read some of Karl Marx's stuff, it's kind of racist, you know? Yeah. And I actually called X. called some Marxists out on this and they're like, no, what are you talking about? Karl, Karl Marx is not racist. How dare you say something like that? That's blasphemy, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, man, you know, Karl Marx basically said that like uh, social constructs like like race and religion and family are all tools of the bourgeoisie to, to, to imprison the proletariat. And I'm like, okay, so what you're doing is you're basically putting class first. And in America, in the 21st century, race is far more salient than classes. I don't give a goddamn what anyone says about it. Class is not going to get people. Race gets people every single day, you know, on both sides of the question, on all sides of the question. And, you know, so we got to talk about this stuff. And yet it's like, you know, a lot of the leftists who are in support of the Democrats and, and the, the DSA and everything like that don't want to have that conversation. Because it's very uncomfortable for them because it means they call themselves out. You know, you have to call yourself out as being part of that shit. Right. And this is the thing. I mean, so so where where we're at now, I think, is where we understand that 
Um, and, and that's so that's perfectly framed, Doc. I, I want this. We should make a transcript out of this. This one. There's some really good stuff in here. Um, and then sell it. But anyway, um, I you know I think what you're describing is this. Um, the purpose. What was the purpose of the left when it was created? It's to create a comfortable space for white people to live in, so that they're not confronted by their own internal contradictions. It's, it is, what is the, it answers the question, what is the least I can do and still feel like I'm part of the civil rights movement? Mm, mm, it's mm. that, it's that negotiation it, as if, as if LBJ and King had sat down and said, LBJ had said, look, I got a lot of white people I have to deal with. What is the least they can do? And you, and you know, King was like, well, they can subscribe to NPR. They can, um, you know, have one black friend, they yeah. can, you know, and it's like there's the list. But, but that's not the left, though. That uh, from the from a leftist position, that's the center. And I no, wish it's that, not. You, no, that's what we think. Dude, but look at like the MP, NPR. You know, Prius democracy liberals, now. Democracy you know, now, now. For fucking brunch. All that shit is not left wing. And I don't, I don't understand why people keep calling that left. It's I, the like, pattern, though. No, it's yeah, not I hear it wrong. And here it's no longer P. <laughs> There's no peace. Oh, so I, th I still think of Crystal as the brunch crowd. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I, I just don't. Do that. Damn, man. I just don't understand the difference because here, here's the thing, Doc. I, to the extent that the framework I'm suggesting is um, consumer based, and so to the extent that DSA folks choose a podcast or Amy Goodman over NPR, I don't see a difference. To the extent that there is a different set of white theorists that they consider their foundation. I don't see a difference. So I, I, I'm not, um, I didn't, I don't mean to suggest a particular set of purchases. You know, I'm not at that. I'm not at the Amazon <laughs> checkout counter yet, uh, but we're, you know, don't we're ever go there. <laughs> Boycott that shit. You know what I mean though? It's uh, like, um, it, it's how do I, you know, what do I, what can I consume to create an identity that's going to make me comfortable yeah. and not, and I don't have right. to do anything else. The most, the most active thing I have to do, the most radical thing I have to do is, is vote every once in a while for somebody who's yeah. black or brown. And put a bumper sticker on the back of your car. And put a bumper sticker. That's right. But pithy little comment. Right. You have to vote for women. Progress. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And then you're aces. Well, it's interesting <laughs> what's considered left and right in this country. I mean, Ooh, talk like Bernie, it. for example, would be center left at best in Europe. I mean, he, he's basically fighting for stuff that Europeans are now fighting to keep. Yes. And we don't have it yet. Like, you know, universal health care and, and uh, child care. Child care subsidy. Basic <laughs> stuff like that. Basic. I mean, this is an education you know, like university education. I mean, what the hell do we pay taxes for here so that Raytheon and so on can drop more bombs around the world and, and make some, you know, guys in leather chairs with cigars and cognac very, very rich. Not yeah. literally making pay a taxes killing. for no reason because the thing about it is our money doesn't Right, come right. Up. I know, I know. Yeah, but. I know I gotta point that out though because yeah. I gotta break that and then we we are gonna preach. I know it. we got I gotta read I gotta read that Kelton <laughs> book. It's I but know. but I, I know, know we, where you're going, but I get what you're saying. I definitely Yeah, yeah. It. I mean that that's what I, I mean is like we we are being nickel and dimed and meanwhile the, the big corporations pay nothing 
Mm-hmm. And get a bunch of subsidies. And yeah, so where was I going with that? Where did I get upset? I got upset. You were talking about the left and the right in America. Oh, right, right, right. So it's like, uh, you know, the right is totally off the fucking chart. They're somewhere over there, you know, down the cliff. And the, the so-called left is really the right. And and uh, I don't know, like the far left, the, the, the real kind of opposition is not is nowhere to be found. It's dark. Is I want to. I, I want to yes, make. I want to make a point here. And, people and like that. I think it, it's, I, it's a. What's the word? It's a fra- fragmented so badly. Like people's consciousness over. Like we need to, and you know, I spoke with Sam about this at length. You know, history. We really need to learn history, and people need to just read more and 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 understand where they're coming from and like these these divide and conquer games have been have been you know at play from day one so how can we you know we need to do something to overcome all this division to understand what's being how we are being played and this is i guess one of our roles I think that I think the biggest problem here is that people have gotten into this whole left right thing recently without any kind of education. Like they don't know what they're really talking about. They're just going right. based on talking points. Literally bu- the origin literally bumper sticker right, Doc? philosophy. Literally not even the origin of why we talk about right or left. Like I, I wonder how many people even understand. Yeah. It was it was the arrangement of a of a parliament in revolutionary France. That's why we talk about left or right. On one side of the parliament, the left sat. And on the other side, you know, the, the Republicans or the, the right progressives, <laughs> the right, the, the party of the king sat. That's why those were considered right and the the the, the radicals were considered left. Let me let me basically drop a couple things here. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, that John Brown not fitting into a traditional left right, you know, scope or whatever. John Brown was a religious fanatic. Okay. You don't find a lot of religious fanatics on the left. He was a he was literally a religious fanatic. Everything from the moment he woke up in the morning until the moment he woke up the next morning was God is ordaining me to do this. I'm I'm doing God's work here in the world. Okay. He was not a Marxist. He was not a socialist. He's not what you consider a progressive. He was if if he could have designed his own government, it would have been a the- theocratic government. And yet we talk about him like he was a radical revolutionary because the things that he was promoting for the time were very radical and were very revolutionary. And that brings me to another thing that I want to mention here real quick and and stop me if I get too deep into this. But the word radical comes from Latin for root, the roots. It's from the roots. The word revolution, like the revolution of the planet, is not a 180 degree turn away from Mm -hmm. what we're going on, but a full circle back to the beginning. So radical and revolutionary starts from the foundations. They are not necessarily anti whatever we have now they are saying our society has gone to a point where we're so far off the beaten path that we got to get back to the foundations to start to get back to the original to start again so your argument is is, um at its at its base conservative Uh, no that's not what i'm that's not what i'm arguing at all backwards to something in in a sense it's atavistic in that sense it's way more than conservative it's atavistic it's arguing we need to go back to some, you know, some original 
you know idea but the the reason why saying that that talking about racial equality is revolutionary is because at the beginning human beings were all equal with one another you know and so that's what we're kind of talking about we're talking about getting back to the roots of humanity you know and i'm talking about before before anything that we're talking about in american history back before, before fences yeah right you know back into the 10,000 years ago when we were all living in Africa, we were all equal, you know, and before we started building society and this kind of stuff. And to some degree, that is, that's a really scary idea for a lot of people. You know, most of the people who have benefited from the system the way it is, because what you're doing is you're basically saying, okay, you four people over there that benefit from the system, or you 4 million people or whatever the number is, you are going to lose your privilege and your benefits because we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to start over again and we're going to figure out how to do this shit right. And that's why revolution is so scary to people, not because it's a radical destruction of what we have, but because the idea is to go back to the beginning, to get to going back to where we screwed up and trying to do it right this time. And I wish Danette had not left, but <laughs> I, I just want to, comment to you know if 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 we were somehow to succeed in going back and kind of resetting resetting the the society to you know to to a more uh, equal society from the beginning uh who says the things won't be repeated again unless there's also an inner work going on in parallel Right. Well, the, the goal would be to deliberately deliberately work to keep it from following the same track that it did. And it would, be, it would require deliberate work because it's through neglect and ignorance that it got to the place where it is now, I think. It's a good question. How would we do that? I think that's a worth that actually is, deserves its whole own conversation. How do you stop this from happening again? How did this actually happen? And how do you stop it from happening again? I think that's a, a good question. What I believe in the short term, because that, you know, there are all kinds of time frames for that kind of a question. So how do you prevent it from ever happening again? It's big. I believe this is at its essence, either what you just, the question you just asked is the justification for reparative justice that what you, we don't, we don't want to just like it. We're not looking at history and saying we weren't fair to everyone. Let's try to be a little more fair. We're saying for on every possible level the consequences of the theft that came from mm -hmm. enslavement permeates our culture and so you can't just fix it through anything short term you have to rebuild everything and what you rebuild in theory at least um has now has a new quality to it in the sense that you've now re you've at least attempted to repair and redress this this fundamental injustice um, you also have a great system of checks, which is a people with a culture that that you know create it has such a sensitivity to injustice. You you have the opposite of the current culture with you know several trillion dollars of disposable income or invested in infrastructure or whatever that's going to make it much less likely that we come to the conclusion of you know let's sell someone out um, or a group of people out or let's have crappy public schools or let's have an underclass again. Yeah, and just to jump in, that 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 means the job is might be even a little bit bigger than than what we were imagining, you know, because 
like you said, you got to go back and you got to take a look at every single institution that we got in the society. And we got to see how it's been affected by this legacy and, 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 and how you got to find out who's benefiting from maintaining this legacy in place. And you, you basically got to root all that stuff out. You got to get down. You can't leave a root in there because it's just going to fester again. Exactly. You got to find those roots and that's hard work. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of people out there that talk about revolution that aren't willing to have that kind of conversation with anybody about it. Well, the genius of, of a, a reparative frame is that you have a tracer. The economics is, is you can trace. So if, if there's been economic infusion and to the extent that there has been from that, you know, that initial act of theft, then you know that that's a, a corrupted institution. Hypothetically, and this doesn't exist, but if there were an institution, oh, well, in theory, the schools that they used to call the Rosenwald schools on, in the South, that Booker T. Washington and Julius Rosenwald created, theoretically are, um, are like uh, stolen um, capital-free schools. Those things were built, you know, they're once removed. They're obviously, these are people who had wealth and their wealth came from somewhere. But in theory, that's an example of those schools versus almost any other kind of school were built with a specific purpose that kind of makes them independent of um, or less dependent on the, the culture uh, that, that uh, was created through stolen, stolen wealth. So maybe that's an example of an institution. But yeah, I think you're right, Doc. It's, it's like, so it, it, I think it's a matter of how much did you need? So our banks need a lot of this capital to stay alive and do what they're doing. So we know that they're on the top of the list of stuff that probably just can't continue to exist. Like there's just no way you can do it. We tried, right? The Freedmen's Bank. It was like, okay, let's create a just bank. And, and of course it had to be run by white folks. And so what did they do? They stole all the money from people who had just, had just been freed. And people are still telling that lie that Black people mismanaged the money. I was they watching sure on genealogy, and I had wanted to use some of the stuff because it was this white woman. She was talking about genealogy, how they had dropped the freedmen's, um, the freedmen's records, and then they got to the point where they started talking about the freedmen, and they threw out that lie about Negroes not being able to manage money. I was like, I can't use this shit. It's, <laughs> it's so frustrating because it's the opposite. It's a miracle within a short time after emancipation millions of dollars are earned and pooled that is a miracle you know and it, but that's not what people focus on they say well that money then was mismanaged and so it went away but every single board member was a white person and that's where it went it went you know it was through the the board that it disappeared back into the white community how black money oh, yeah. yeah like it always goes hey sam you you follow can never pronounce his name. Irony. Yes, I was going to say Irony talks about that. Go ahead, Ida. Yeah. yeah, no, I think he mentioned some, uh, you know, like he spoke about institutions. And I wonder, I mean, Light I institutions. haven't watched much of him. Maybe you can you gotta maybe watch more. You got to watch more Irony. Everybody should watch more Irony. I'll probably steal a little clip from Irony in here. But no, Irony talks about white institutions. He talks about the school. He talks about the family. He talks about the church. He says, if we're going to change the way things are in America, we have to start studying white institutions. And from there, we have to change white institutions. And he's very clear about it. 
because we have to change, we have to get back to the root. Like y'all saw that Ernie Chambers clip. Like if that church believed in Jesus, like they said they do, they should have jumped right behind that preacher and integrated. Like the church should have led the way for integration. And right now I saw something where this one pastor, this one female pastor was talking about, she, she, uh, she prayed for the angels to keep CRT away. I was like, I don't think angels do racism. Like, I don't think that's in their job description. <laughs> like, so, and this brings me back to like a joke, right? Cause I like boondocks and I don't know if any of y'all have seen boondocks when uncle ruckus went to white heaven. And my joke is what happens to white Christians when they die and they go to heaven, and there's a bunch of black people around. Like, is this <laughs> fucked up shit for them? I'm just like. <laughs> very disappointing. They're very disappointing. I'm just like, I thought this was gonna be my heaven. Like I gotta do these girls up here too. Like, fuck it. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, do y'all think about these things? Like, <laughs> maybe I do too much. I don't know. But I don't think that there is a heaven, so. I, think I don't just, either. Right? <laughs> but if you're a right Christian here. and you believe there is one, this is my point, right? If this is the stuff, I'm a, I'm a person, like, I'll come from you from what your belief system is, right? So if you say you believe in this stuff, then how can you be this way when you say you believe these yeah. things? I don't know how the, I don't know how the clan doesn't know that jesus was a jew i don't know how i don't know how that like i can't like wrap my head around that you know they got like christian images all over the place in the clan meetings i suppose he's an honorary but you know you know the but you know i supremacy like to bring in he's a, he's a jews for jesus do jews for jesus you know, know they'll bring in like a they'll bring in an ethnic yeah. You know, like they'll bring like one Asian to be in the white supremacist group, one one oh. uh, one browner Latino to be in the like. So they're like, no, 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 we have we have diversity. We just don't uh, like blacks. Wait, what was the movie that recently came out? I wanted to watch it, and then it slipped. It slipped my. Um, it was a black guy was pretending he was pretending to be in the clan. The black clansman. Um, black clansman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Oh, movie review, right? right? Yeah. Three out of five tomatoes, something like that. I remember when Boots Riley was saying, "Don't watch Black Klansman. Watch uh, Sorry for Sorry to bother you." I watched Sorry that's, to Bother You. I love that. I watched yeah. that because of you guys. That's a good, that's a good that's a good movie. And I Boots is a, Boots is a really good guy too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. He really is. He said he's voting. Uh, he's voting in the primary just for Bernie, and then after that, when Bernie lost, he's like, "I ain't voting for shit." <laughs> <laughs> and he said he didn't really. He didn't agree with Bernie at all. He just, he just wanted to. He 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 was down with what kids were working on. So that's what he was. That's what he was for. He was for a, a popular populist kind of movement. And then once, once well, then said what they were going to do with Bernie, and then he backed out. I think he's big on on labor. Uh, rights and Bernie was really the only candidate supporting labor. Oh, Boots is a communist. Have... He'll straight right. up tell you, he goes, I'm not a leftist, I'm a communist. He's a good guy. And his music is, wow. I mean, he just, his heart blows, his mind blowing. <laughs> I always wondered, like, so he started in like nineteen, like the the coup started in like nineteen ninety two, I think, 
and it was like at the same time when all the when when like west coast gangster rap was real big and so i wondered like how it is that he had this like music that was kind of in the underground that was juxtaposed against the materialist stuff on the other side you know and like i mean because he would straight out say you know i'm for redistribution of wealth and he's for you know communism and everything like that and he's very very explicit in it and at the same time at the the music that he was going up against was like you know talking about cars and and money and drugs and women and everything like that full-on materialist and he was basically you know one of a very small group of folks that were doing anti-materialist stuff you know at in that time frame it's pretty neat well i think early on there was like way more balance in the music where you would get like a variety of different messages mm-hmm. and then that kind of you know the the drive to to make money in the art form kind of uh pushed a lot of different you know different styles out and yeah. you know it just became about whatever would make you the most money yeah i think you're right and I think that that happened not too long after that, like in the mid to late 90s, I think, when when uh, Sean Combs and all of them were blown up. You know, it really became about just Flash and everything like that, and all the consciousness stuff sort of disappeared. Yeah, I think I feel like that was on purpose. That was just good social programming, good way to tear down, further tear down Black culture, make a bunch of money off of it. Like... Cause there's just, you know, like, like you said, back in the day, there was a mix. Like you could, you could listen to, you wanted to listen to some, if you wanted to listen to some sexy stuff or you wanted to, you know, you wanted the over-sexualization, you had those artists. You wanted to listen to some, I love you. I want to be with you. Yeah. That you want to listen to some hardcore hip hop. You have to like, now we don't have anything in any genre anymore. It's all kind of like the same shit across genres. Everything sounds the same. Like, like, uh, like what's that called? The same mold, you know, the corporate. Mm-hmm. It's all Drake. There's Pop. a, I don't know, I don't know how much, how on topic this is, but there's a body count video. You know, body count was uh, Ice T's metal band. And he actually, he actually, it's, it's like a thrash metal band, but he kept getting promoted as a hip hop, uh, hip hop uh, rap rock. Uh, and he got pissed at that. He said, look, we're not rap rock, we are a thrash metal band. And we don't want to be booked in a hip hop club. We want to be booked in, in metal clubs, but metal clubs won't play us because we're black. And, you know, because apparently black people can't play metal. I, I don't know. But anyway, at the beginning of one of his videos, there's a, he has a little skit at the beginning where this guy's like body count. Who listens to them? All we listen to in these streets is Drake, 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 Drake. That's it. That's Ooh. all we listen to. And <laughs> it's a pretty funny sketch at the beginning, but it, it kind of like was like, yeah, you know, that's pretty much what's on the radio now is Drake and people that were inspired by Drake. Yep. It's, I don't know. I feel like I'm getting old. I feel like that South Park episode when they turn on the radio and all he goes, <laughs> like, I feel like I'm that now. Like, it's like you did a certain age, like the day before everything was great. And then the next day, all of a sudden, all you hear is that. That's how I feel sometimes. Yeah. Like, I rest- Arrested Development. There's has a lot of good BAM out there. there right now. You just got to search for it. Like I've like heard when- that. My friend has some good stuff. You got to send me a playlist. I'll be telling yeah. you I'm lazy. Y'all got to just send me shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Please it's do. Instagram and stuff. There's a lot of interesting BAM and like young black uh, boys that are in go- studying piano music and studying. Like I follow a lot of them that's really getting deep into the uh, 
the root step again, like, like what Bill just described, like instead of saying black metal, if you do the BAM construct, that would just be called BAM because mm -hmm. it's black Americans innovating the musical. So it, that's why the BAM concept is important because it strips away all the capitalist genre making and it just makes it bam so bam is this so there's a ton of really cool black music being put out right now yeah but the um, email, but the, email what us the, what the big industries are going to throw out are obviously the top 40 and all this kind of stuff and the black fishing stuff so yeah but there's a lot of underground i love that you use black. i don't i don't like using that word jazz because i just don't agree with it but there's a lot of kind of you would think underground jazz acid jazz like like even like this, the drill stuff that's going around New York right now, it's very cool and it's very roots based, very advanced. And it's, uh, it's cool. People know who's producing the best music in like the history of humanity, really. And that's something I've really, um, I love listening to, but it's hard to find. I'll send you some. Yeah. But the, the BAM is coming out. A lot of the young people I noticed, the young musicians in like the Manhattan School of Music, they're starting to drop jazz. They're starting to say BAM like B-A-M capital. So it's cool. It's coming around. It's not oh just a fringe God. thing I'm talking about that I'm reading online. It's it's a new kind of revolutionary way to, to talk about African-American music, you know, Black American music, if you want to look that up. And I appreciate you doing the clip about that last time, you know, but no, you know, I'm still pro reparations, but if I recommend one thing, look into Black American music, you know, because that's like my other thing. You know, it's really, really a big change into how we think about it, you know. So for me, I feel like people get here how they get here, right? Like, I don't think it's fair to like force somebody's journey there. Like you got here through through black through BAM, through black American music, and then you found us. So like I don't have a problem with that. Like just because you didn't just like see some some magic video and then decide, oh, I should start reading these books. Like you came, you came to it and then you did the, you know what I mean? Like. I don't know. Like we got to let people get here how we get there. Plus I like it. I think it's an interesting story. Plus you're talking about stuff that people will be interested in. And what if I'm not thinking about what's going on with reparations, but I am interested in BAM. But then I start listening to John D talk about it. And he rolls into reparations. I'm like, oh yeah, it makes sense. So, so however people get here, they get here. Yeah. It's, it's well, interesting. It all comes back to money, right? In America, it's all capitalism. I mean, even Patricia, I'm sure with your art, it's all it's come out it's all you got to sell it you know and then you realize as a white person where are create you know there's a lot there that we have to you know it, it's it's a interesting space to be in you know when you have to sell your work you know capitalism itself in america is, is tied to oppression and these things so it's it's you got to talk about it right yeah. i guess i guess i was lucky in you know in the balkans to have had parents who were really not like anyone around us they were very bohemian and you know, I grew up listening to Mahalia Jackson and, and Ella Fitzgerald and Louis, Louis Armstrong. And I just, you know, it, how can you listen to that without being moved? And then later, you know, I, I found Nina Simone and totally fell in love with her. And mm, yes. So I'm really, I guess there would be no music. <laughs> without black music it would just all be it would all be english folk music everywhere <laughs> we'd be waltzing <laughs> we'd be waltzing there's <laughs> <laughs> a barack obama quote about that i know he's a hot topic here but he has this whole quote when he was really young he's like he says american culture is basically black culture you know he was pretty uh yeah, yeah. Outspoken, I think. yeah, yeah that he, old, old quote. he knew he knew he had to appropriate it real quick 
Yeah, he knew where the <laughs> money was. <laughs> he he wasn't he wasn't getting out here as a Kenyan white man. He had to get out here and put on that berry that berry swag. Say what With you want about Adolf Reed. Adolf Reed was one of the first people that wrote an article about Barack Obama that called him out in like way the early early days. So I think you know it's uh it's interesting. I thought it was like in 1996 or somebody wrote this. So he's like the, yeah, he, he like was the, on him before before people even knew who he was. There's this community organizer in Chicago. That was the first sentence of the article. It was, it was interesting. It's so funny that it would be Adolf Reed's bitch ass. I fucking hate Adolf Reed. He is the go-to blackface class reductionist. When they want to bring out a class reductionist, they, they drag out his crib keeper ass to come and talk about <laughs> yeah he's the Thomas Sowell <laughs> left for real they drag him out to talk about how Negroes need to stop talking about race and how it's all about class and if we would just focus on class Negroes would be okay he's yeah he's what Nick is trying to be what chairman Nick from FHL is trying to be he's trying to be the same shit talk about I'm a revolutionary but all you talk about is fucking Medicare for all like okay but whatever, I don't watch them. Let me keep it moving. It's a I great wish- privilege to be able to kind of take all these pe- people and just like say, because if you go to the conservative rooms on Clubhouse, they're always just discussing Thomas Sowell, Thomas Sowell. And they think because they're reading, you know, a black author that says it, or if you're a leftist and you're reading Adolf Reed or you're reading some, or if you get into a lot of these books, you that's think the of them. And, you know, as white people, we have. See, that, that's uh, why I don't read. Privilege. <laughs> I, 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 I'm gonna cut your mic if you keep if you keep promoting not reading around here. As it is, <laughs> he's telling me all the things that they don't know about history. My parents never did anything, and I'm like, when your family get here? We got here in the 30s. Where are you from? Oh, you lived in an all-white sun downtown? Fuck you. Like, come on. Like, now he's in the cornfields. <laughs> yeah. No, it's rough out here. But that, yeah, no, I, I get that. I think that makes sense, though, in, in that, um, you know, it, it doesn't do you as much good to read something with no context or understanding. Yes, that's that's Doc's saying you can't read anything till you go to him first. No, like, no, no. What I'm, I'm saying, I'm what, tell I'm, you. what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that sometimes reading something that's bad is worse than not reading at all. Yeah, so and there's a lot of there's a lot of really bad shit that people are reading. Yeah, right now. they're paying people to write these shit. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, people like are making lots and lots of money and getting lots of very famous off this stuff, mm-hmm. and it's just crap. It's all crap. It's not any. It's not worth you know the money that that it, I'm losing to read it. You, know? you need a good foundation to be able to discern, you know, to right. separate the. Yeah. I'm, I'm having Adolf and, this moment. And, and I, this I, look, I, the reset race book list. So I you think know what to read. I, no, I, I think that I'm old yeah. enough. I think I'm old enough. And I'm, I, I think I'm old enough now to not trust every single thing that I see on the internet. Oh, that's but I think that there's a ton of people who aren't old, who aren't that old. Doc's you just see it on the internet. And, yeah. Those of you watching us who don't, because you can't see him, he's in his 80s. So <laughs> we, we couldn't trust it. Remember back when we used to have to walk, when, when we, Okies, got out of Oklahoma. <laughs> he, he started the Dust Bowl. The experiment gone awry. I, I threw the first successful touchdown pass during the Dust Bowl. <laughs> But I, I love it, Sam. I love the list. Cash, though. 
no, because a lot of people do read trash, and a lot, like you said, I have to fight people who read Adolf Reed and think he's brilliant. So I agree with you, yeah, because it's a whole bunch of just pulling shit from people. And again, like you said, a lot of people just see stuff on the internet and they think it's real, but you still have to go back to people's primary sources. You got to dig deeper. But the problem is, people are lazy. That's right, yeah. they are, and that's and look. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying don't read. I'm saying what when you read, it should be a very active thing. It should be a thing like you got like all the primary sources you're looking up because you don't know where this stuff comes from. Like, you know, you, you'd be very surprised. Like half the time people take this stuff out of context and they may cite some source mm. and then they go back and find the source doesn't say that at all. That's so true. That stupid thing about how a dollar cir- only circulates so many times <laughs> in the black community and it circulates this many times in other communities. Yeah. And the Fed is like, there is no way to track this. There is no human way possible right. to track this. And somebody like took it from a book somewhere that now somebody can't find the study. But this shit is now fact yeah or where or where people say look our, our dollar is collapsing because it's only worth 17 cents that's a, that's bullshit a dollar is worth exactly a dollar it's always worth a dollar and you have to like to actually make sense of that statement you actually go, have to go into and take a class on purchasing power parity to understand what that even like begins to mean but it's not even close it doesn't mean anything and so people will say a dollar is worth 17 cents. Well, that so our dollar is collapsing, so we need to buy gold now. Well, gold's at fucking two thousand dollars an ounce, and they're telling people to buy gold at a historic highs. Like, what kind of ridiculous advice is that? And yet there are tons and tons of old people in this country. Excuse me for anybody who is old, uh, who are spending all of their children's life savings and, and inheritance on buying gold now at when it's at historic highs. And that just makes some rich person even richer because someone's got to sell them that gold and someone's selling them that gold at that super high price and making a ton of money on these on these idiots who don't know the first thing about the economy because they all believe that a dollar is worth 17 cents because that's what you read on the freaking internet. You know, media literacy, doc, that's the thing. It's it's deconstructing what you what you like, not looking at what you see on your screen or in a book as a fact and a solid thing. You have to understand that everything is is permeable, I feel like is what you're saying. And so you've got to you go to your Facebook page, you you read that book that someone just gave you, yeah. whatever, and and here's how you take it apart. Right. Here's how you take yeah. apart a video that you see on YouTube. Right. Or you know, just use Facebook to post cat videos and just that's it. You know, I mean dogs too. Mm-hmm. Dog videos too. Yeah, you post yeah, you'll get a good prefer, you know. Baby goat videos are that. really good. Just oh. go, ahead. Yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, John. No, sir. I'm saying it's interesting how they always try to wheel, try to reel people in with the gold. Like when you go to, like when you drive, like by the black neighborhoods, it's the buy gold guys, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you go to the Fox News old people, it's the buy gold. It's really interesting how cash for gold. Uh, it's just interesting the way Bill was laying out the gold scams and like, yeah, that's one of the classic things you see. When you go to even a lot of these corner stores, it's like you see Walgreens, Dunkin' Donuts, Family Dollar, then Cash for Gold, and it's like I'm all that. Episode it, on that too. It makes I'm you, yeah, it makes you think like it's this whole thing, and th- that's really what the everybody talks about the economy, the common American con- economy. For probably most people watching this, is probably, I mean, most of us are shopping at just a normal store, right? Like a you know Stop and Shop, Big Y, or like Walmart or Whole Foods, and like you, or some people go to these Family Dollars and everything, or you you go to these check cashing places like yeah it's pretty it's not like a very 
advanced economy, you know, and, and the way they sell the gold to people is, is ridiculous that you see these gold shops in these towns where like, what, what the hell, where are they getting these gold? What's this economy? It's, it's, it's strange to me. So it, it, that's an interesting point. Uh, they kind of, they've always tried to sucker people in with, with gold, you know? Yeah, it, it really is. And, and this has been going on for a long time. Like you see, in uh, inverse proportion or in direct pro direct proportion to the price of gold, the amount of buy gold now commercials. No one ever says sell gold. They always say buy gold. They want you to, to take your money, which is worth still a dollar and go and buy gold with it. Well, like I said, you know, the, the, the common microeconomic principles here are buy low, sell high. So why is it that everybody is buying at a really high rate? Well, it's because the people who are running those commercials are making money by selling that gold to those idiots because mm -hmm. they bought the gold at, you know, $350 an ounce and now they're selling it at $2,000 an ounce, you know, the same way with, with, uh, you know, Ooh, cryptocurrency marketing ploy. Think about that. Well, sure. like, if I got a bunch of gold to get rid of. I can run commercials and be yeah. like, Bye, you'll, you'll way more, you'll make more, oh. way more money than, than, you know, uh, you know, you'll make way more money than you cost than you paid for the commercial. So, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's brilliant. But the thing is, is that the vast majority of the people who are who are into the buying gold are too stupid to know that they're getting suckered, and they're basically it's like the new televangelism, you know. It really is. People give all their money to to, to uh, hucksters and carnival barkers, and that's our economy. Excuse me, I, I shouldn't get so upset about that. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that's why I don't read because I don't believe everything I see on the internet. <laughs> all I do is read. But I do like to I do like to go through those damn um, those freaking uh, uh, primary sources, which can take some time, man. <laughs> like when you, that's what, like I said, you gotta take some time with that one because you gotta go back and figure out where these things come from. Because you're right though, because there's a lot of shit like that with the I'm gonna say it with the feminist shit, a lot of bell hook shit, like a lot of that shit comes from white supremacist shit. Like if you go and actually listen to Tommy Curry as he starts like breaking it down, so. Mm -hmm. so i agree but i also need people to read the right books <laughs> you're knowledgeable doc you've already learned what you need to learn but um angela right. davis and, and eugene dubs those are two good books oh my god to be abolished prison and doc do a list do a list doc do just 20 just is, do, is, do is 20 it eugene i have nothing for the blacks i like it. <laughs> No. That's the problem with some of these white socialists, you know. That's mm. see, they slip some up. of them. UG if they're from Debs, Europe, it's all of them. You know what I mean? Like it's just a European model, which is also the problem with saying, you know, in Europe things are so much better. That that's actually not true. The 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 more accurate way of thinking about, for example, the political systems in Europe is attach the former colonies and their political viability to the nation of your choice. So you'd be like, oh, the Netherlands are so wonderful. Well, find all the places that they ruined all over the world and attach the state of the politics there theirs to get the true measure of the effect of their idea of what democracy is. We just, we're just mostly in-house. I mean, we're doing imperial stuff too, but the, our disaster is like England plus every colony England ever had. So it, it becomes, you know, they, of course you can have nice prisons in an all-white country when you have a pile of gold from a bunch of other places that you stole it from. True. You know, 
of course you can have free childcare for all of the white children, you know, and you see it fall apart when even small numbers of pe people of color start to come into those countries. They, they sound real yeah. nuts. Then they freak out. Then they freak out. All of a sudden, these these Nordic social countries are full on racist. You get you see yeah. proud boys. Literally, it's interesting. You know, like Norwegians hate the Swedes because <laughs> we were wait wait wait. The Swedes were pretending to be neutral, That's but funny. they let Hitler march through Sweden onto Norway, and they were selling Hitler their steel. So there's you know that you're absolutely right, they're okay. a small family. Norway, Norway says Guten Tag. Sweden says Guten Tag. And those are right. two yeah. totally different languages. Two right. totally different languages. Right. And Germany says Guten Tag. So those are three totally you know, it's, it, They specifically hate them because of the Nazis, Nazi thing but while pretending to be neutral. Right. Um, no, yeah. But, yeah. Well, gosh, you said something. I... Sorry, I, I. Oh, oh. So it's. I just wanted to mention something sort of personal. So I, I've been, as Sam might know, I I asked her for some suggestions for books for my daughter. I know. I still have to get on that. Yeah. No. I mean, we found. I guess we found one that. I mean, it's. I don't know. It's. So there, there aren't any required readings in schools. They just you know, kids just go off and read whatever. So I went to the Berkeley Public Library website to find uh, like a list for seventh graders. And they're very diverse, very diverse books. Oh, good. Yeah, I think they're really making a concerted effort. And then um, a friend of mine gave me the list from, from the Waldorf School, which is like 30 pages long. Oh, wow. And it has... Rudyard Kipling on it. Oh, great. I was That's like, a That's a quality <laughs> list. <laughs> isn't, isn't he the, the one who wrote about the white man's burden or something? Or did I mix up authors? No, you got, you got him. He's a hot mess. I mean, that's just send send the list to doc he's going to edit it for you <laughs> <laughs> like, like the federal government with a big black he you white <laughs> right but it's the wilder this Waldorf list looks a lot wider to me just from kind of quickly reading through it i haven't perused it or researched you know all the authors but just a quick glance seems that way i might be wrong yeah, I got to go through for myself because a lot of the books that I read would traumatize your daughter. She's a little too young for the books that I read. I, I, I was thinking about that. Like, I think she could, re she could read My Face is Black is True. That one's not like bloody or gory. It's just mainly about like Callie House and getting people together and fight for reparations. That would be a good book. But outside of that, most of the books that I read are kind of rough because I'm, I'm in a genre. Like most, a lot of stuff that I read is like in the Nader period. Because, you know, I read, like, from slavery through the 60s. That's pretty much getting fucked up for Black people. Like, like you got to learn it. But I don't, they don't, you know what it is? They need to make more books like this for kids, I guess. Because some of the stuff, like, some of the stuff, I, like I said, I had some of these books that after reading them, like, I had PTSD for a minute. Like, I needed a minute. Like, yeah, like that article I sent you, and Gabriel, I, I couldn't read to the end. I, I, I was just... Yeah. 
it's it's very hard i mean that's a big a big part of this is kind of built is um when when you think about introducing especially young people is i mean we as again especially in this country i mean we literally don't have death like our old people disappear somewhere mm-hmm. we're little we're kids and it's like you know, grandma's here in april and in june grandma went to heaven and we don't have any idea what happened in between mm-hmm. where you you know and so to to then say and this is how we treat a whole group of people because of how the color of their skin it's like we're not prepared for anything so there's a lot of groundwork that has to happen at the same time it's like you but you just have to get them ready because you can't otherwise you you spend all your time that's your your new excuse i'm getting them ready for the truth you just have to be like this is going to be rough on you but we're going to figure out a way to get through i i think some i think some stuff you kind of just got to read together right because then you can kind of because then you can kind of be like this is going to be a lot so instead of me giving all the gory details maybe i'm going to summarize what happened here so she understands how bad it is and she understands you know then later on so you're not you're not you're giving them the information without having to give them like all the bloody gory details, right? It's the difference between me knowing that, like hearing the shot in the movie versus you like showing me the shot and all the blood and the gore and everything like. Well, you know, with her dad, they watched the Squid Game and she, oh, wanted, yeah, I watched that. <laughs> she wanted me to watch it with her. And I was like, after 10 minutes, I'm like, turn it off. I already can see where this is going. And yeah, I, I was the same way. I totally huh? didn't watch it. I, John, I think you and I talked about this on Twitter. I was like 15 minutes and I, w- I was like, I don't need this. I'm not watching that. I'm not watching that. Show. Barber about it today. Yeah, he likes it. Yeah. That shit is that's poverty porn, man. That's, that's like the boom. that's like the fantasy. That's a fantasy of the the middle class and the right wing of this country. It is poverty porn. That's the perfect way to discuss it. And yeah. between watching that and just some other stuff, I was like, when I get older and I have some time, I swear I'm gonna do some research because this obsession with like y'all hunting people, this had to be an industry during slavery that we're. I think you have to be right. I've heard you make this case. I, I just have to do my research. I haven't done the research, so I can't prove it but I need to spend some time doing some research after I do, but it just seems like we had a trade for everything else, right? We were, we had a flesh trade. We had a young flesh trade. We, you know, we've had, we've had a little bit of everything. So why we had, the fight, we, had the, we had the fights. We, why not? Wasn't there like a, wasn't there like a famous <laughs> novel about like a dude that turned human beings into animals so that people could go and hunt them? Oh yeah. I, I don't know. Dr. Moreau, right? Is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah, I think that is the island of Dr. Dr. Morrow. The other thing is that what you're describing yeah. is like the equivalent of like a fountain for water. Like if you imagine people as property, the ultimate sign of wealth is things like I have so much water, I can just waste it. And you, the, this is the, what you're describing is the equivalent for, for people. It would be like, you know, I'm just, you know, killing uh, one of my prized beef, you know, one of my cows for like a dinner or something. Like it's, you're just showing how much wealth you have and the depravity is there. We know the depravity exists. So why wouldn't, um, yeah, anyway. All right, y'all. They found the plants with their heat seeking technology and they fly in with all their bullshit and you show them the license and they go away, but they still, these federal agents, they were ready. They were ready to get them, you know? So they it's still, as much legal. as all these laws are it's I'm gonna say, federal, the I'm gonna say you guys fuck you up, live you know? in legal states, man. You guys suck.
California's well, had much longer. Like this is our first month in Connecticut, and it's, but you, you got to remember, like they just stopped raiding in California a few years back. That's because, ridiculous. Because like my my ex had a dispensary, and this is like what two thousand eight, two thousand nine. They were raiding people back then with dispensaries. Like with and the cost, like I didn't know that's how they find the marijuana plants. They actually read the the heat that the plants oh, give off from the all that. Cr- it's crazy. the lights. It's actually the lights. Right. Yeah, it's nuts. The the electricity use. The amount of money we have to pay for permits the past couple years. I'm like, fuck you guys, get out of here. Like the amount of hoops you got to go through just to have the legal weed, and then the feds will still come and do this stupid game. You know, just grow it outdoor, man. Just grow it outdoors. Like it is. It's it's, it's outdoor. It's in the woods. Yeah. But it's um, luckily now they kind of know the place. But, you know, the guy that runs the plot, he's basically like, you know, I don't know, that could happen any day because it's technically a federal law. It could happen. Exactly. It all depends on whoever's president, whoever's attorney general. Yeah. When are we going to finally kill this federal law with this shit? Like, this is stupid. We're not. Look, prohibition is it's just so we can keep locking up brown people when we want to. Black. Exactly. This is top of the list of first. Proof that it's a we're we're a failing state. Not it's going to happen. It's happening now because our state and federal laws are literally clashing with each other like this. And second, why you need a, a reparative solution? Because the the only the, the problem is we like the drug industry, but we we love the prison industrial complex. And yeah. so this is a this is a way to keep them both going forward. And no, and we love cheap labor. So the prison yeah. industrial complex keeps our cheap labor slaves. Right. Because yep. if we get rid of prison labor, we should ab- start by, we need to abolish all slavery. We need to fix that shit in the Constitution. We need to fix that shit. Well, not, it's not only that. It's also like state state and local like sheriff departments and, and police departments make like half their budget off the shit that they seize from off the shit that they seize from people that are they're convicted on drug offenses. You know, not even convicted, just arrested. Mm-hmm. Like if, if like if you get arrested while you're driving and you they they pop you for weed or whatever they take your car and sell yeah. it at auction that's how they fund their fucking police departments. Again, yeah, there's language. This, I'm there's such a weird there's like this gray you know it's a gray zone because like in California it's legal on the state level but it's not on the federal so they all operate on cash. And then when they go to the tax and franchise board, you know, they bring these bags of cash to the window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's but very account, They'll freeze your bank account. Yep. This so is you got hire private security guys, right? My ex, used to have over my ex used to have over 100 grand in cash in the house. Shit's crazy. I believe it. This is all because you said- Land you of the free, the home of the brave. That's how we got into this conversation. You said you needed to go to the store, and we all yeah. got. Obviously, this is a trigger issue for all of us. I know, right? We'll have to talk about this a whole different time. Like, free the weed, free the weed. Well, the I appreciate everybody being here, and uh, we're off next week because I need I need a break. <laughs> like, I need a break. I need some time to read and uh, kind of function. And then we'll be back the week after and we'll just get back to doing what we do. I deny everything but what I have all along admitted. The design on my part to free the slaves.